Well, we will start today with the ninth psalm. This is to the chief musician, to the tune of Death of the Sun, a psalm of David. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right to my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O oh, enemy, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me, you who lift up from the gates of death, that I may tell, of, tell all of your praise. In the gates of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is ensnared in the work of his own hands. Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. O glorious Heavenly Father, what a wonderful day it is to be in your presence and how marvelous it is to just share with others in your word and in your comfort and in your peace. And we thank you for everything you've done for us to bring us here from the week behind. And uh, we look in anticipation in the week ahead for uh, your open hand of grace. And uh, while we're here, we'd like to uh, remember each person that has a, a personal affliction, whether it's a physical or a mental or an emotional need, or people like Paul and Elaine who are currently traveling, and uh, that you would just look after them and keep them safe. And Lord, may this service be pleasing to you, and uh, may your word go forth, and uh, maybe something in it touch somebody's heart today and help them to understand who you are and what you have done and why you give us these pictures from the Old Testament, which are fulfilled in the new. We thank you for every good thing that you've done for us. We want to give you praise, glory, and honor. What a great and loving creator you are. And we especially acknowledge you because of the work of your son, our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, just as always, not a lot of announcements. Um, I always bring up the uh, building first each week and this week is exactly the same as this past week except that I have a week of frustration added on top of it. It was the worst week I've had since we bought this building. Uh, I will say nothing good about Florida Power and Light. They have really done a very poor job in helping us out and doing their job in a responsible and timely manner and it's cost us a week of delay, a lot of uh, loss in the building itself and uh, then we have a, a problem with the roof which uh, got identified and so that's going to be believe it or not at like ten thousand dollars to fix so that's something that's added on to everything that we've had so it's been a really really tough week 
and uh, I'm looking forward to good news in the week ahead. But uh, I told you last week it would be probably three weeks before we moved in, and that will not be the case, at least from last week's perspective. If Florida Power & Light finally gets off their duff and gets going, we may have uh, three weeks after that, but we just don't know. And uh, it's very upsetting. So uh, uh, not to be negative, but it's just the reality of the situation. Um, baptism, anybody here never been baptized and they want to do so, we can do that any day of the week. We can do it right after the service. Uh, I normally like to leave immediately after the service because I have a whole day of work ahead of me and it goes on all the way up until the evening when it's time to go to bed. But the one exception I like to make is to offer baptism, and I'll do that any Sunday. That's just a wonderful thing, and we have plenty of water where when we move into a building, we won't have that. We'll have to schedule baptisms. So if it's something you want to do, just let me know. And um, today will be our 85th Genesis sermon, uh, moving right along. Uh, I just it, it, It's a wonderful thing to think that we're in a Genesis 34, we're in the middle of it and that uh, we've got 85 sermons behind us. It just, it just touches me that we've gotten this far in the past couple years. Um, one other thing, and I'll announce this again in a few minutes, but um, uh, today is uh, the birthday of a friend of mine. His name is Tom Alley, and some of you here know him. Uh, he uh, uh, does not attend church on the beach anymore because he had his own church that he stayed at when we moved from the afternoon to the morning. But uh, I just want to acknowledge him as being one of the greatest influences in my life. I, I see him every week on Saturday. We work together in the mission field. And um, Tom is the most giving soul that I know in the world. And uh, I, I just, I'm honored to know him. Uh, yesterday we were doing mission work and uh, one of the people uh, that we just met for the first time, Tom has a, a bad leg wound. He was shot in the leg by an AK-47 and his leg looks like it's gonna just collapse. If you look at it, it's amazing to see. But uh, the guy said, hey, what's the matter with your leg? And uh, we told him, uh, I, I, I had to speak up for Tom because Tom's very humble. And uh, I said, um, uh, he was shot in the Vietnam War. And they were stunned. They, it, to them, they're, these young guys, they, were, they look back at Vietnam War like I look back at the World War II. It's something that happened so long ago. But uh, it's fresh in Tom's mind every day, I'm sure. Um, you know, he, he uh, served his country. He defended uh, our right to meet out here in Church on the Beach. And so if you know Tom Alley personally, I'd ask that you would give him a call today and uh, or, uh, you know, maybe post on his wife's e uh, Facebook. Uh, please tell Tom happy birthday because he, he has nothing to do with computers. But uh, just he's a wonderful person. So I'd ask that you remember him. Um, I think that's all the announcements I have. I did mention in the prayer that Paul and Elaine are traveling, and uh, I'd, I'd ask that you just remember them in their travels. And uh, they should be back in a week or two. I, I can't think of anything else right now. I'm, I'm a little bit tired today just because I haven't slept well because of all these problems with this building. But I, I keep telling myself, you know, Lord, this is your building and uh, this is your church. And so there's a reason why he has us out here on Turtle Beach. So I can't get too frustrated about it in that sense. But I can get frustrated about it in the sense that you just want to see things progress. And when they don't and when it causes you a lot of extra money and work, it's very depressing. So... Uh, want to make that distinction spiritually no problem but in my flesh oh it's just been a tough one um we'll go ahead and read the psalm number 10 and maybe that'll cheer me up a little bit and uh then we'll get into the uh, actual service here uh psalm number 10 Ooh, great words why do you stand afar off O lord why do you hide in times of trouble the wicked in his pride persecutes the poor let them be caught in the plots which they have devised for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire 
he blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in, ad in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the village. In the secret places, he murders the innocent. His eyes are sec secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Wonderful, wonderful words. I just, I, I never get tired of reading David's words in particular. Of all of the psalmists, David just, he just touches me. Anyway, today is uh, going to be Genesis 34, verses 13 through 24. It is right in the middle of an entire uh, story. In other words, from the first verse to the last verse, it's one story, and I've divided it into three sermons. And so, if you weren't here last week and you did not watch last week, then you'll probably be a little bit lost and uh, you will not get the answer to why these things are happening until next week. But it's a wonderful story, and we can learn. We can learn moral lessons simply from what we'll see today. So I hope that maybe you'll hear something that will help you just think your own life through and how things are going uh, in the world around you. But as I said, it, it is a united story, and today is just a portion of it. Anyway, before we actually get into reading those verses for today, um, I want to do this day in history as I do every week. Today is 18 August. And on this day in 1587, uh, Virginia Dare, does anybody know who Virginia Dare was? She was the very first person born on American soil of English parents. She was born in Roanoke Island, uh, North Carolina. And eventually uh, that uh, colony just completely disappeared. Nobody's sure what happened to it. But uh, she was the first immigrant from uh, the New World to actually be born here on uh, uh, American soil. In 1735, the Evening Post of Boston, Massachusetts was published for the very first time. And uh, nothing really important to mention about that other than what made me think of uh, including that is just to think that what those people that published that uh, Evening Post in Boston would have thought if they were here today. Because these were godly people back then. They, they were Christians, they attended church, They uh, uh, had reverence for the scriptures and uh, for this uh, new uh, land that they were living in. That They knew that it was uh, by God's divine providence that they were here. And um, today they would look around, especially in Boston. I mean, you know, you take the, the, the state of states as far as moral uh, turpitude. It's either California or Massachusetts, and Boston is the hub of that. 
And um, not that there aren't good people in Massachusetts, so if somebody's watching this, or if you're from Massachusetts, I'm, I have property in Massachusetts. It's not that uh, uh, there aren't decent people there, but as a whole, it is the leader in the nation of where we're heading, along with California. And I just, it, I kind of am remorseful over what these people would have thought if they wrote their, their articles today. Um, 1920, Tennessee ratified the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Does anybody know what that 19th Amendment is? I'll tell you this, it affects about 50% of the people here. Anybody? Women's rights to vote. Uh, so anyway, that was uh, ratified by Tennessee. It was on its way to becoming a law. And I was thinking, personally, it seemed so foreign to me that they couldn't vote. I mean, it, it's something that is so foreign that I can't imagine that they at one time didn't have a right to vote. And uh, now, you know, ladies don't go around making a big deal about it. They just, they, they're a part of the society. And there are a few extreme left organizations like now that keep bringing up things that don't exist very similar to the NAACP and Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson bringing up things that don't exist in uh, their political agenda. And instead of making things better, they actually make things worse. But for the most part, I mean, this is a, a nation where all people are respected equally. Um, what is changing about it, though, is that there is one group of people that is now becoming a second-class type of citizen, and that is Christians. Uh, you believe strongly that there is one way to God, that is an unacceptable message in today's pluralistic society. And so you actually have to have real fortitude of your own constitution in order to uh, uh, say what you actually believe, if you actually believe that. And uh, that goes right hand in hand with something I was talking to a young lady over here about before uh, uh, church today. She's attending a school where they teach evolution and uh, uh, she has choices to make. Is she going to believe that or is she going to hold to uh, what the uh, creator says. I did this all, I created, and uh, it was done out of an act of love, and it was done in six days. So, uh, and I'm not here to debate long-term creation or short-term creation. I am a short-term creationist. I believe God did it in the six days of the Bible, but uh, some people will say it was six billion years representing six days. We'll talk about that some other time. But uh, as far as this young lady here, uh, she will hopefully know that there is a God and that there is uh, a God that loves her enough to say, I have created you and I formed you for my purposes. Please accept that. And uh, if she does, then she'll be on the highway to heaven with her mother and uh, that'd be a great thing. Uh, it's an individual choice and, and if she's never made it, I would hope that today would be the day. Uh, 1937, the first FM radio station construction permit was issued in Boston, Massachusetts and the station went on air two years later. FM, no static at all. Uh, you know, the difference between AM, which is amplitude modulation, and uh, FM, which is frequency modulation. It's uh, much clearer, and uh, it also makes for great songs and great old sitcoms. So, uh, FM. And then you have uh, 1966, the first, this is great stuff here. Talk about Daniel 12 coming to life right in front of us. The first pictures of Earth taken from moon orbit were sent back. And so uh, uh, technology is increasing, just as uh, the Bible said. It wasn't specific about taking pictures from the moon. But uh, the fact that that was just a few years ago, in retrospect, and now we've already got pictures from the farthest end of the uh, solar system. And we've got pictures from Mars, and we've got pictures from asteroids. And, and uh, we've also got the Hubble looking out to the farthest distances of the galaxy. Technology will increase in the end times. And uh, so great stuff there. And uh, 1982, this is 
just it, it, it tickles me to read this. The volume, 1982, the year I graduated from high school, the volume on the New York Stock Exchange topped the 100 million level for the first time at 132.69 million shares traded. We do that in an hour now. And so you see how quickly things have advanced where we're trading well over billions of uh, uh, single shares in a single day, uh, whereas it was a big thing to go over 100 million just in 1982. Um, 1990, uh, what was that? The first shots were fired by the U.S. in the Persian Gulf crisis when a U.S. frigate fired rounds across the bow of an Iraqi tanker. If you don't know what that means, it's a warning signal. You're doing something that is not legal, and so they fire a bow over that instead of at the tanker, and it's saying that if you keep on the course you're on, we are going to destroy you. So it was a warning signal fired over a bow. It was probably, I don't remember this specifically, but it was probably an embargo of Iraqi oil, and they're trying to take it out into the Persian Gulf, and we said, you're not going to. So there you go. It was the first confrontation of any type during that. And it seems like it was uh, yesterday to me, but some people are reading about it in their history books. So time is marching on. Um, got a birthday here from 1774. Meriwether Lewis of the Lewis and Clark Expeditions was born on this day. And uh, once again, I'd like to say that Tom Alley was born on this day. He's a friend of mine, uh, a great Christian, a man of God. And uh, when, they are, when the Lord is assigning places in heaven, I know that he will be way, way up front with his humble heart and his uh, servant's attitude towards the people that uh, he tends to every single week. So uh, once again, if you know Tom Alley, please call him today and let him know happy birthday. All right, we'll go ahead and read our uh, text for today, which is Genesis 34. It's verses uh, 13 through 24. And... Uh, as I'm reading, as I always ask you to do, please just try to think, why is this in here? What is this pointing to? Why did God spend an entire chapter of the book of Genesis on the rape of a young girl? And what, what significance is, of, is this in your own life and in your understanding of New Testament theology? Here we go. Um, uh, starting in the 13th verse, it says, But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor's father and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of the city, their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters." Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male is circumcised among us, uh, among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. If your son or your daughter told a friend that they could move into your house 
What would be the most common question in the world to ask that friend? Have you asked your parents if it's okay? I mean, right? Isn't that what you would think of it? it wouldn't it make sense for them to ask before they moved all of their stuff into somebody else's house if, until you knew that it was okay with the owner? And if you want to start a business or get married or make some other major decision in your life, what would be the one thing that is more important to do than any other thing that you could do? Well, if your priorities are straight, you would want to talk to God, right? Get him involved in the process. If you're going to testify in court, guess what you need to do? You need to swear concerning the matter. This only means something if you were swearing on something that can affect you if you lie. If you swear on a bag of neon gummy worms, it really makes no difference if you lie or not. The dummy, these gummy worms can't do anything to you except maybe make your mouth happy and make your teeth rot. Hebrews 6.16 says, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation for them is an end of all dispute. This has been the standard since the very beginning of time. By Jacob's time, vows had been made for over 2,000 years. People had invoked God's name, and the elders of a home were checked with concerning great family matters. But today, we see a passage where all of that is thrown to the wind over deceit and greed. Let's look at today's passage and learn from it. Let's heed the message before us and apply it to our own lives. We have a text verse for today, which comes from Romans chapter 2. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who, even with your written code and your circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? Circumcision is a right, R-I-T-E, not R-I-G-H-T. It is a right and a distinction of a certain group of people which served a particular purpose. Paul is adamant, he's very adamant, that the Gentiles who come to Christ do not need to be circumcised. In fact, he uses circumcision as the standard by which one can judge the reality of their faith in Christ. If we trust that Jesus is all-sufficient and that the law is set aside in him, then we know that circumcision is unnecessary. Circumcision is this baseline. We could apply any other tenet from the Old Testament law. Pork. Jews aren't allowed to eat pork. Are we allowed to eat pork in the New Testament? Well, there's nothing in the New Testament that says we can't. The law is set inside in Christ. If I say I'm not going to eat pork in order to earn God's favor, which is something in the law, then I am doing the same thing as circumcision. Attempting to get, uh, you know, uh, uh, be justified before God by getting circumcised, Paul says that we become estranged to Christ and we become a debtor to the entire law. In essence, this is a self-condemning act. Jesus Christ is, in fact, all-sufficient for us. His work is accomplished, and the proof of that is that he was vindicated in the Spirit, which is testified by the resurrection. We need add nothing to his work to stand justified before God. And so, may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I got three thoughts for you today. The first is the deceitfulness of outward appearance. This is verse 13. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah. 
their sister. The sons of Jacob came together to form a plot against Shechem and his father Hamor. This is pretty clear and it is plainly evident in the text. The verse says that they spoke deceitfully in this matter. However, Albert Barnes gives his insights into the Hebrew of this verse. He said, they answered deceitfully, which nothing could excuse, yet to show that they had much provocation, it is immediately subjoined. And then he gives the Hebrew, Vedaberu. They spoke thus because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. For so this parenthesis should read. In other words, and I don't mean to get too confusing with this by including such small details, but he is saying that the wording in the Bible is important to show the clear intent. They were provoked and so they acted deceitfully, even if what they did was inexcusable. They acted unjustly, but they did it because they thought that it was the right thing to do. Now this might seem like it's trifling here, but by the time we finish this chapter, you should see what is being pictured and why this is so very important. Of all the commentaries on this entire chapter, this entire incident which is going on, the one that is most likely to give you an idea of what's being pictured comes from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. It's concerning this verse right here. This one comment comes closer than any other to detailing why this account is being pictured in the Bible and what it's speaking about. Please listen closely and try to think about what they say here. Depending on how well you know the New Testament, you may be able to see the whole picture based on their comments. If not, I'm gonna explain it next week's sermon. Here's what they say, but the problem is they merely state it as a fact and they unfortunately don't go any further with it. Had they gone further with it, then we would have understood many, many centuries ago why this particular passage was included in the Bible. Here's what they say. But that outward rite, meaning circumcision, could not make the Shechemites true Israelites. And yet, it does not appear that Jacob's sons required anything more. Nothing is said of their teaching the people to worship the true God, but only of their insisting on they're being circumcised. And it is evident that they did not seek to convert Shechem, but only made a show of religion, a cloak to cover their diabolical design. Hypocrisy and deceit in all cases vicious are infinitely more so when accompanied with a show of religion. And here the sons of Jacob under the pretense of conscientious scruples conceal a scheme of treachery as cruel and diabolical as was perhaps ever perpetrated. Think about what I just read and try to tie it into what you know about the New Testament. And I'm gonna give you a hint. I would direct you this week to read Acts chapter 15, which is the council in Jerusalem where they meet to talk about certain issues and also the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians is very short. It'll take you about 15 minutes to read it and to know it. So you read those two passages and I bet you will be able to see this chapter about Dinah unfold like a flower. As we go on, remember that Jacob, who pictures Jesus, never makes any comments, nor does he intervene. Now think about Jesus. What is going on in the world, even today? He's allowing to happen. He's allowing it to happen and he is not intervening. And that's the picture that we should be getting about Jacob not speaking or being called on to discuss the matter at all. Verse 14, and they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised for that would be a reproach to us. This is the beginning right here of the deceitful speech which was mentioned in the previous verse. The reason it's deceitful is that there is no such law at this time in history. In addition to that, both Isaac and Jacob married daughters of uncircumcised people. 
They are making up a law which doesn't exist, and they're stating it in a way which makes marriage here seem unbecoming and against their supposed religion. The Geneva Bible says it this way, they use the holy ordinance of God as a means to accomplish their wicked purpose. Keep thinking, and hopefully you're going to start to connect the dots as to what's going on here. Verse 15, but on this condition we will consent to you, if you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised. The deceit continues, we will consent. They have absolutely no intent on consenting. They're making a show of their personal standards as superior to those of Shechem and using them as a tool against them by supposedly claiming that they will be joined to them through this sacred rite which was given to Abraham and to his descendants. The law is given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. It's only five verses long, and so I want to read that to you so you can see what's going on here. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Nothing else is given. And they are adding to the law with an invention from their own heads. Again, we can turn right to the Geneva Bible for their insights. Here's what they say. Their fault is even greater since they made religion a disguise for their deceit. Circumcision was never meant for the Gentile peoples except those who come directly into the home of the line of promise and that prior to the Messiah. Verse 16. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your, descendant, your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people. This verse is given in response to verses 9 and 10. These are the things that Hamor asked for in last week's sermon. And so they're agreeing to the request, which is based on the added terms that they just gave. All of this appears to be a bargaining session in order to bring about reconciliation. But instead, it is a trap which will end in death. One of the problems with what's happening here is that nothing has been thought through clearly. If Hamor and Shechem had stopped to think about it, they would have realized in their own heads that Jacob's wives were from non-circumcised people. Or they could have at least asked if that was the case. There's also no record of them giving an explanation for their circumcision. The son said it would be a reproach to them, but there's no reason as to why. And another hugely large oversight, which I've already mentioned, is that there is no record of them having gone and asked Jacob what he thought about the matter. On the surface, the story seems to be flowing and it seems to be explanatory for the people of Shechem, but in reality, it is a little bit of light and a whole lot of obfuscation and a hidden agenda. Then this brings us to an obvious parallel that I think we should consider. Just because someone has a particular trait, we tend to take them as authorities in areas that they may not be. I'll give you an example. Actors can act and they may be very good at it, but it makes no sense for Congress to call them in to speak about environmental or political issues, and yet they do. If you remember, Susan Saranda did an environmental movie. Next thing you do, note, Congress has got her in front of Congress testifying about environmental issues. 
And she, she's an actress. She has no idea what's going on. She happened to make a movie. But that's the way that people like to do things. This is a specialist in this area, and so I'm going to apply their specialty in all areas. We also tend to vote actors into political office because we assume that they will be good at it. Yes, politics is largely an act, but not all actors in, fake, in fact make good politicians. Even most politicians don't make good politicians. Notoriety is no indication of ability, anytime, anywhere. If you want to think of a person that's perfect in today's culture, Anthony Weiner. He's very noted, but he has no ability at all. And yet, New York is considering actually electing this guy to be their mayor. So we got to get these distinctions made in our head. Doctors are highly trained at fixing people, but it doesn't mean you're going to call a doctor to fix your kitchen sink. Far often, far too often, we tend to transfer intelligence or capability of a person in one area into another area, and this leads to all kinds of mistakes. How much worse when it deals with religion? I can't tell you how many times I have heard someone follow a religious figure for whatever nutty reason. They may be a very good speaker and have no sound theology at all. And not to bash him, but Joel Olstein is a very good speaker, and yet he says nothing of any theological value ever. He publishes books and millions of people read his books, and yet they don't say anything that has value for our afterlife or even for our life now. It's just a motivational tool to get you to be happy for a day or two or maybe a week. But people follow him. He's got a 30,000-person church. I'm not jealous of that. I'm just simply saying that people are ascribing his great speaking abilities to he must be a great preacher, when in fact he's not really preaching. He's doing a motivational thing that anybody can do in any forum, whether it's business or whether it's whatever. So you get a person that's charismatic and he's quick with wit, and that's what happens is people follow behind them. I've seen Jewish Christians that are followed by multitudes of people simply because they converted from Judaism into Christianity, even though many of them have very crazy ideas about Christianity. They reinsert the law, but people think that must be the case because this guy is a Jew. I, it, it happens all the time. Muslims that convert into Christianity are quite often held up as specialists because of where they came from. And unfortunately, that leads to all kinds of disaster. We had a very prominent Muslim preacher and theologian here in America a few years ago come to find out he was an entire sham. He wasn't actually a Muslim convert, but he claimed he was, and people just threw themselves behind this guy because of where he came from. You've got to be very, very careful when dealing especially with religious matters. This is deceptive and this is dangerous, and it ties directly in with the verses that we're looking at and the picture they're making in the New Testament. This incident with Dinah is trying to teach us something, something that is important and something that it can affect our walk with the Lord in a deep and I mean an eternity-changing way. Verse 17, But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. One commentator says that the family of Hamor and Shechem must have been rather small because they otherwise wouldn't have sought an alliance with the family of Jacob. Anybody? Comments like that make absolutely no sense at all. But now somebody has written that, and so everybody says, oh, well, you know, Hamor's family must be really small because they believe this Bible commentator. Once again, and I say this almost every week, when you read a commentary, be careful to not accept that commentary at face value. Instead, 
compare it with the backdrop of the story. Hamor could have had a huge family. They could have been immense. They could have been a very important family, and it would not have changed the narrative at all. He is the king. Shechem is his son. Shechem is in love, period. This is what matters to him. It's true from an earlier sermon that Jacob is a very wealthy man in his own right, and we've seen that. But the size or wealth of Hamor's family is completely irrelevant. The love of Shechem and possibly the wealth of Jacob is what is being highlighted in this story. Our second thought today, what a man sows, that he will also reap. Verse 18, and their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. This proposal might have seemed way too good to be true. Hamor had offered them to dwell in the land, join them, trade with them, acquire possessions and the like. And then Shechem had offered any dowry that they wanted to name. Instead, all they've asked for is something that Jacob's family has already done. They've all been circumcised. If this sign is what bound them into such a strong and united force, then it must be a good thing, right? Once they had that same sign, then there could be no distinction between them. In essence, they would be one group and what they had would belong to them. Now to think this through, it would be like somebody that becomes a U.S. citizen and they get a U.S. passport. Along with that, you have all of the rights of a U.S. citizen. This is what they're thinking. But just as carrying a passport doesn't mean a change in the person, as we've seen time and time again with these recent bombings by American citizens that moved to this country, neither does getting circumcised mean anything without the inclusion of what the circumcision means. Paul explains this in great detail in Romans chapter 2. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go read Romans 2 and you'll follow through with that. What seems like a very good deal here, in fact, means absolutely nothing, either from a spiritual standpoint, nor, as we will see, from the viewpoint of those who already bear the sign. And this is evidenced in history as well. There's an ancient historian named Herodotus, and he says that there were other groups some in Egypt and some as far away even as the Black Sea that practiced the rite of circumcision. And yet they had no part in the covenant with Abraham. Many Christians in the world today get circumcised, but I could never go to a Jewish synagogue and say, I'm a Jew. Muslims, that's part of their heritage is they get circumcised, but they are no more Jew than a Christian or anybody else. Verse 19, so the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter he was more honorable than all of the household of his father. Shechem may have taken the wrong steps in his initial dealings with Dinah, but he wanted to make it right, and so he immediately went to be circumcised, as it says, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He saw what he wanted, and he immediately took steps to get her. Now, to help you think this through is what's going on, I want to remind you, as I've done four sermons now, what the name of Dinah means. It means vindicated. If you remember her inclusion in the birth record of the sons of Jacob, the reason why it was is because her name is tied directly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says that he was vindicated by the Spirit. Dinah pictures that vindication. Jesus was judged as righteous because of his righteousness. And the Spirit so acknowledged that in the resurrection. I'm telling you this to help you think this story through. Shechem is delighted in what he sees, and he is willing to do what he thinks is right 
in order to obtain it. Somebody sees the resurrection of Jesus and they do something that they think is right in order to obtain it. Are you starting to see that? Once again, though, just because we think something is right doesn't mean it is. Muslims really think that blowing themselves up for Allah is right, but it isn't. Mormons really think that the Book of Mormon is right, but that does not mean that it is. Shechem is making a fatal mistake, even though it is with good intentions. Unfortunately, Shechem's status as an honorable person makes him and his argument towards those around him seem worth pursuing. They will be misdirected by a guy who has been misdirected. You watch PBS and you see these spiritualists that tie in the Bible with the Quran, with the Bhagavad Gita, and you think, wow, that sounds kind of right. The guy's misdirected and now he's misdirecting other people. Or you see charismatic people on TV that are supposedly preaching the Bible. It doesn't mean that they are, and you have to know your Bible well enough or you too will fall into this trap right here. Verse 20, And Hamor and Shechem his son came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, All right, we'll stop before we go on to the next verse. In the traditional custom of the biblical Middle East, the important affairs of the people are always conducted right here at the gates of the city. It is the equivalent of the courthouse in America. Anything that needs to be addressed, anything that needs to be decided, anything that needs to be judged, all of that would be done at the city gates. We've already seen this in the account of Sodom when Lot was there at the city gates, and we've seen it in Jacob's dream when the Lord appeared above the ladder and Jacob exclaimed, this is the gate of heaven. Why did he do that? Because something has been decided by the Lord. It is a judicial decree. And so that is the gates of heaven making that decree. We see it now. And we're going to see it time and time again throughout the Bible. And so Hamor has gathered the people together here at the city gates. In order to get somebody to do something which may not be very pleasant, you first have to get them to accept that the benefits will be pleasant. You can't get a person to go explode themselves in a shopping mall unless you can tell them that they're going to have a reward for doing it. Islam does this and they say you're going to have 72 perpetual virgins if you do this, whatever a perpetual virgin is. And then, of course, the women do this and you wonder what they're being promised. What's the point? I don't get 72 perpetual virgins and if I do, what's the point? But they get these things into people's heads. This is right and this is the benefit of that thing. It would be much easier to get a person to charge up a hill into oncoming machine gun fire if you filled his head with notions of glory and maybe safety for their family as well. Whatever the situation is, it's easier to give the negatives after giving the positives or at least giving them both at the same time. And so that's what Hamor and Shechem do right here. Verse 21, these men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. The good news about Jacob and all of his wealth becoming theirs is given. They are at peace with them. And so it would be a great thing for them to all just join together and become one group of people, right? And anyway, the land, it's large enough for all of them as well. This sounds, I'm going to tell you, a, a, a parallel that is going on this week in America. The state of the Syrian refugees that are, you know, there's this war going on in Syria and they have these refugees that are trying to get away from the war. America is giving them a blank slate 
to migrate to America because, of course, the land is large. But there truly is evil intent here. Just because these people are refugees does not mean that they are our allies. They are our enemies who happen to be on the losing end of the battle that's going on. There is no reason at all that the surrounding Muslim nations can't take them in, and there is every reason for us not to rush into this decision. But our administration, and I believe this 100%, they have evil intent for us. Like those in Shechem, we will face the consequences of the choices that we make. Our third and final thought today, drinking the Kool-Aid. Verse 22, only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. See all of these great things? They're all going to be ours and all we need to do is just be circumcised. That's a small thing, right? Just think of all the great stuff that will go along with it as well. Once again, the Geneva Bible has wonderful insights about this situation. They say, thus many present, pretend to speak for a public prophet, when in reality they're only speaking for their own private gain and convenience. Hamor and Shechem have been duped, and now they in turn pass their duping onto the people of the city. This is what Jesus would call the blind leading the blind. A person is never more unwilling to see the truth than when he follows someone who is already deceived. You think of any cult in the world and the people in it, and you will see this pattern presented perfectly. Verse 23, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us, let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. Shechem wants Dinah, and he's willing to do anything to get this girl. He's failed to do his due diligence in the matter, and his desire for her has even led his father to not see this matter clearly. And he's the king of the area. And in order to make it come about, they together plan to entice the entire city to follow them in their misguided intent. In the customary way of bad governments, hoodlum gangs, and disreputable business takeovers, the prospect of easy, unearned wealth is portrayed here to the residents of the city. We see this in commercials all the time, and we hear it from politicians every single day of our life. It's the same thing that got Eve duped in the Garden of Eden. It is the three evils which are mentioned in the Bible, from the very first pages all the way to the very last pages of it. It is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is seen in mentioning what? The daughters. Oh, all the men get all the daughters of Jacob. The lust of the eyes is seeing Jacob's wealth. And the pride of life is seen in boasting of the flesh, the circumcision. We will be circumcised and we will be a part of the covenant people because of it. The same pattern caused Eve to, Eve to fall. It's brought down kingdoms and it is the thing that John writes about in his first letter to us. Here's what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. It's also the way that Jesus was tempted by the devil at the beginning of his ministry. Did you know that? Devil came and he tempted him in those three same ways. However, he prevailed over that temptation, and now he offers to us his victory apart from these things. I hope you're continuing to see this story opening up as to what is going on in the New Testament. The lesson learned in this story about Dinah is a lesson which will hopefully, it will hopefully serve as a reminder to all people 
how to properly conduct our affairs around those who wish to deceive us and to steal us away for themselves and for their own boasting and not for the glory of the Lord. Verse 24, our last verse today. And all who went out of the gate of his city, he did Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised. All who went out of the gate of the city. The question is, who is it that's doomed to destruction? If good intent got us to heaven, we would not need Jesus. Because we often believe that listening to a fine-sounding argument can supposedly keep us out of trouble, Hitler very easily duped Neville Chamberlain. In the same way, people keep believing politicians who tell us that taxing the rich and spending money that we do not have will lead to economic prosperity, when in fact, we're heading right down the path to financial ruin and to economic collapse. It's so sad, but if anybody in this city had stopped to ask Jacob what he thought, things probably would have turned out differently. But Jacob's sons, the children of Israel, made all of the proposals and all of the promises, and they completely left Dad out of the picture. As I've noted several times already, not a single word is spoken by Jacob until the very last verses of this chapter. Jacob pictures Jesus, and as you can see, Jesus is remaining silent on this issue during the church age. It's something that we need to heed. He's not going to do it for us. No one has asked what the significance of circumcision is. No one has asked why they should be circumcised, only that it was needed in order to get what they want, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the, the eyes and the pride of life. And no one has prayed to the Lord, nor have they invoked him in any vow. What circumcision signifies, what it entails, has been completely left out of this discussion. No explanation from the most important person of the house has been asked for. And once again, I'll note that God has never been mentioned, nor will he be mentioned in this entire chapter. Not God in general, not the Lord in particular. He has been ignored by everyone. You may wonder why we use the term sheeple. It's because for the most part, people just follow along without questioning. We're silent as we get sheared, and we're silent as we go off to the slaughterhouse. We trust where trust is not due, and we obey those who deserve no allegiance. A whole town right here follows the good but the misguided intentions of a man who is in love with a girl, but who has been misdirected on how he can get her. And many, many people throughout the ages have been misdirected by those who are truly in love with an idea, but who are misguided about how to receive it. I'll tell you something, some of you know this and some of you don't, but I started my walk with the Jehovah's Witnesses and I can testify firsthand that they really think that they're following the truth, but they're not willing to ask the hard questions of those who lead them. And the leaders have been misdirected by others who have misled them. Every person who buys a barbecue grill is responsible to pick up the instruction manual and to check the instructions before turning that grill on. If they explode themselves because they didn't put the thing together properly, they cannot blame the manual unless they used a faulty manual. And every person who calls on God must pick up his instruction manual and check the instructions before committing to the call. If they wind up in the wrong place at the end of their life, they cannot blame the instruction manual unless they used a faulty manual. And even if you have the right manual, you need to make sure that if you do not understand the instructions, that you check with the one who wrote them. This is what prayer is for. Oh God, I do not understand. 
please open my eyes to see the wondrous things in your word. Guide me, teach me, and give me honorable teachers. Relying on someone who isn't qualified to interpret these instructions and handle them properly is about as useful as drinking sand on a hot day. Now this is where we have to stop today, but it is not the end of the incident with Dinah. Next week we are going to see the tragic consequences of not following the blueprint of life. But there is a blueprint, and it's available to every single person out here. It's the Bible. In it is wisdom, in it is love, in it is grace, in it is mercy. But there is also in this book sadness and woe and wrath for those who don't follow it properly. There is one key point of this book which is a necessary starting point for anyone who wishes to be pleasing to God, and that point is Jesus Christ. So I'd ask just another minute to explain to you once again the importance of Jesus Christ, of his cross, and what it means to you personally. The Bible says that we are created. We did not evolve. Little struggle that's going on in our schools right now. We were created. And that our first father turned his back on God and did things his own way. That's called sin. It's missing the mark and it's disobeying God. And when he sinned, death entered the world. And every person since Adam has died because we inherited Adam's sin. And then we sin on top of what Adam did and we heap up condemnation and wrath against God. He's seeing everything we do. But then he offers us a pardon, a, a, a plan of peace between him and us. The wages of sin is death, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. God entered the stream of humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. He's fully God, so he can reconcile us to his Father, and he's fully man, so we can perceive what he is doing, and he can reconcile us from the finite to the infinite. The bond is restored between God and man through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and there is no other way. John 14, 6 makes it clear. Either Jesus was telling the truth or he was lying. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. So if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would ask that today you would make that commitment. That you would say, I want Jesus. I want his forgiveness. And I know with certainty that I will have eternal life because of what he did and not on my own works. All right? Our closing verse today comes from the book of Proverbs. Now, before I give you this closing verse, I want to tell you something, that this verse is etched in the granite wall outside of the uh, Capitol building in West Virginia. Imagine that, a Bible verse proclaiming God's word on a Capitol public building. So if you want to see a picture of it, I have a picture of it from uh, my travel around America. Here's what it says. It says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom and in all you're getting get understanding now i'll give you kind of a second little closing verse here to tie in with that the bible says that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom now think of that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and let's read our closing verse again wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom and in all you're getting get understanding Next week is Genesis 34, 25 through 31. It's entitled, The Gentiles Who Are Turning to God. That's our 86th Genesis sermon. It'll be the end of this particular chapter. And you will understand, if you don't already, why this chapter was included and why God decided to spend an entire 
chapter of his word, it's that important that we remember this lesson and that we hold on to it fast, that we are saved by Christ and by Christ alone, and there is nothing we can do to add to that. So please be here next week or at least watch it on YouTube if you haven't seen it. All right? Before I read you our poem and uh, we have communion, I'll tell you this. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. And he has a good plan and a purpose for you. So call on him and let him do marvelous things through you and for you. Our poem today is called, We Don't Need No Blueprint. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor's father they answered too and spoke deceitfully to them. Since he had defiled their sister Dinah, their anger grew. And they said to them, we cannot do this to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. It's something amiss. The situation is uncomfortable, as you've realized. But on this condition, we will consent to you if you will become as we are in this way. If every male of you is circumcised, then it's true. We will give our daughters to you without delay. And we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you as well. And we will become one people without a fuss. Can't you almost hear the wedding bell? But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, we will take our daughter and your dreams won't be realized. And their words pleased Hamor the king, and Shechem Hamor's son was pleased also. So the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter, as you know. He was more honorable than any other, yes, than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem his son came right away to the city's gate and spoke with the men there, everyone, saying, These men are at peace with us, so we state. Let them therefore dwell in the land and in a trade. Indeed, the land is large enough for this deal to be made. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters, thus joining in their lives. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one community, if every male among us will, in agreement, be circumcised as they are circumcised, showing unity. Will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs belong to us? Only let them consent to let us consent to them openly, and they will dwell here without a fuss. And all who went out of the gate of his city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised on that date. All who went out of the gate of his city, yes, everyone. This story is showing us that we should heed with care the things that we are told and to follow up with prayer. We need to use our minds to think and ponder life's problems with care and to make sure that the Kool-Aid that we drink isn't laced with something that shouldn't be there. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is death, unfortunate but true. So we need to check with the author for his plan. We will be saved alive in glory when we do. The proper plan is given in the pages of the word, and so we can, should consult it for safety's sake. It is a treasured gift from our precious Lord, and following it will keep us from mistake. Yes, Lord, guide us and keep us on the right way as we pursue you and your word each and every day. Hallelujah and amen. Glorious Heavenly Father, thank you for the continuing wisdom which just issues forth from your word and how we can take all of these things and apply them to our own knowledge and our own understanding and our own lives and so that we can be right and pleasing and holy and acceptable as vessels ready for your use. And so use us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit until we're overflowing and so that we can share this good message with other people. We just pray that you will be glorified through our lives, through our actions, and through how we bring your message to the world. Use us, Lord. Yes, use us. And in all things, help us to remember to turn around and to give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you alone are due, especially because of your Son, 
our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen.